Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Attention Talk Radio is brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Topper. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and Attention Coach Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD, thinking and mental effort. I'm very excited to have uh, Dr. John Eastwood in our virtual studio tonight. This is a good show. For our listeners, I I encourage you to get excited. There's some really good stuff. Uh, Before we get into the content, we'd like to thank children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder for bringing our program to you. And in celebration of that event, we're anxious to give away free copies of Attention Magazine in a digital form. To get yours, listen to our show. We'll share a secret word several times during the show. Write that word down. Listen to another show. Write the secret word of that show down. Then just send me an email with the the two secret words. The email address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. And when I get it, I will forward on to Chad. We'll get you a PDF copy of the current edition of Attention Magazine. And we will forward you a PDF copy of the next edition when it's printed. We have a uh, little tip for Chad that we'll share. We'll get into the show. Would you like to help increase knowledge about ADHD treatments by participating in a research study? When you participate in research, society, future generations, and maybe a family member benefit from its findings, bringing new hope for individuals with ADHD. Find a study you may be eligible for at chad.org slash research hyphen studies. Thank you so much, Chad, for your continued support. For those that are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage all of our listeners to either donate or become members to support Chad. Financial stability is really important for them to have the resources to have people lobbying uh, on Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that uh, those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. Okay, everybody. Um, I'm excited tonight. Uh, We have an interview uh, with Dr. John Eastwood. I stumbled into him, quite frankly, by accident, and I'm really happy that I did. Uh, I think that you're going to find our conversation tonight to be very stimulating, very helpful, and we're going to be talking about uh, thinking and emotions as it relates to ADHD that I don't think really anybody's highlighting. Dr. Russell Bark alludes to it, but uh, in practicality, I think, I think you're really going to enjoy this. Dr. John Eastwood is well known for his research into the intersection between cognition and emotion. He received his Ph.D. from the University of Waterloo, Ontario, and is currently a clinical psychologist and associate professor of psychology at York University, Ontario. Dr. Eastwood has a particular expertise on the subject of boredom. He's also co-author of the book, Out of My Skull, The Psychology of Boredom, which offers insight on how to engage with boredom so that it uh, does not negatively affect our lives. Uh, Dr. Eastwood is uh, also principal investigator at the Boredom Lab, a group of researchers based at York University. He's widely published in many peer-reviewed journals. Um, He 
Dr. Eastwood treats uh, people dealing with anxiety, depression, and relationship issues. And with that, Dr. Eastwood, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I am. I'm ecstatic. For our listeners out there who follow our show, you'll you guys know that I'm a big fan of Dr. Russell Barkley's uh, model of ADHD being an issue of executive functioning, largely one of self-regulation. For those that are regular listeners know that I also talk a lot about the elephant in the room is working memory. Working memory is uh, visual imagery and self-talk, and it's, as Dr. Barkley says, it's playing with information in our mind, and that is executive functioning. And so today we're having a conversation. I reached out to Dr. Eastwood on another topic, and I began to realize that he does a lot of work with uh, thinking and, and as it relates to emotions and feelings, and I think today is going to be a really fun conversation because for me, often people with ADHD, when thinking gets difficult, it's hard, and they just escape. And one of the things I like to illuminate people is, is if it looks like a focus problem, and it is, but a lot of times it's the effortness of thinking. So, Dr. Eastwood, can, we, can you just give us a little bit uh, a summary of your interest in there, this area as it relates to feelings, emotions, and um, and thinking, and we'll kind of go from there. Just fr- frame out how you yeah. see it and what your research is. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. So, you know, historically, we've really often thought about thinking and feeling as being these separate things or these isolated kind of mental processes. But what I'm really interested in is how they interrelate and their intersection. And, you know, thinking is not this dispassionate, neutral, bloodless kind of affair thinking itself can be really painful or it can be really gratifying. There are feelings that arise in the context of thinking, and I'm keen to explore those. So, for example, you know, if you're trying to solve a really difficult math problem or engage in some working memory like you just described a moment ago, um, it's challenging for you. There's a sense of mental effort. There's a sense of strain that's associated with that, and that's a feeling that arises in the context of thinking. You know, conversely, uh, if you're reading something that's really well composed or well written or totally in your wheelhouse and you're just clicking along and you have that sense of fluency, that can feel actually really good. Like there's this positive sort of feeling. Uh, Boredom is another kind of feeling of thinking that I've been very interested in. You know, boredom occurs when our mind is not engaged and it pushes us to become engaged. And so, you know, I I think that these feelings really matter uh, because they shape our thinking, right? So when something feels bad, we want to avoid it. When something feels good, we want to keep doing it. And so we need, in order to um, become better thinkers, we have to learn to understand and work with the feelings that occur in the context of thinking. So I like how, so for me, I, when I'm working with people with ADHD, I talk about ADHD as an issue of self-regulation. You have to regulate your attention, and you also have to regulate your emotions. And I just, mm-hmm. I, just to try to make it tangible for self-awareness so we can break it into components, I talk about emotions as a reflexive reaction. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you're threatened with your life, you go into a flight, flight, or free state, and there's that feeling of, of and you just, your thinking brain really isn't online. And what I like to say is, when you have that feeling, you'll skip over the thinking part and dwell on an outcome or a conclusion. And one of the things, Dr. East, what I do is I like to help people separate those two because when you, 
if you have had an area that has been challenging to you, like thinking, like maybe studying for something, over a period of time, you get a feeling of negativity around that. And so what happens is you'll pause and you'll jump to conclusion. What I like to do is say, wait a second, let's kind of pause for a second. And think about what's really kind of going on, and maybe there's an easier way for you to think to make it easier for you to digest some stuff. And as you're saying, mm-hmm. feelings shape our thinking, and and because they're intertwined. And I, I like to make this distinction because if you if it, if you base off of your feelings, sometimes you're not thinking or you're relating maybe a bad experience thinking in the past when if you think about it, you can change the way you think, if you will, to make it easier. Like so a lot of times with people with ADHDs, yeah. they're having a hard time thinking, but if they talk out loud and brainstorm, it's easier for them to think. And I like them to pause and stop and think about how they're thinking. And so it's, yeah. you're saying kind of the same thing, but I'm just saying how I like to separate those two is create that self-awareness so that people understand the two. Because I think Dr. Thomas Brown once time, you know, Emotions are like Google for the brain. That's how we recall memories and stuff like that. So that's how this, this stuff is very related, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. And it's important to point out that I think, you know, the feelings of thinking can both help and hinder us. In fact, it's interesting, you know, artificial intelligence researchers have realized, you know, I find this kind of intriguing a bit, but fun, right, that in order to make smart AI systems, they have to give them the capacity to become bored. Whoa, wait a second, what are you talking about? Well, the idea is that boredom serves a purpose, right? Mental effort, the feelings of mental effort, the feelings of boredom, they serve a purpose. The feeling of fluency, it serves a purpose. Boredom prevents us from stagnating. Uh, it prevents us from squandering our, our resources. And so uh, it helps us kind of move on and become mentally engaged. I mean, if we were content to sit idle without engaging our mind, we would never advance as individuals and never advance as a society. And with mental effort, the idea is that mental effort, the feeling of effort on the positive side, prevents us from over-investing energy in something with diminishing returns. And so there can be a, a light and a dark side here, right? Yes. Uh, on the positive side, you know, we've talked about that, but on the downside, maybe it, it, effort might cause us to disengage from something too quickly or too soon. And one of the things that I'm interested in looking at, and we've just started to do this, is to explore the idea that the feelings, feeling of thinking or the feelings associated with thinking are different for individuals with ADHD compared to those without. So let me try to unpack this. You know, often we think about ADHD as being a problem, a cognitive problem, right? A problem of thinking. Maybe there's, you know, difficulty with uh, working memory capacity or something like that. Okay, that's, that's a useful idea. We can run with that. Or sometimes people focus on the idea about uh, motivation uh, or, or self-regulation. Okay, great ideas. We can run with that. But what I want to explore here is the idea that thinking actually feels different for people with ADHD. And if it feels different, then that's going to cause them to respond in different ways. So for example, we did a study. Now this study wasn't with people who actually had ADHD. It was with a, like an analog sample. So these were people who you might say, you know, were suspected of having ADHD because they um, passed a, a threshold or a cutoff on, on, a, on a self-report scale. 
but we didn't have a clinical interview to confirm a diagnosis. But we had this suspected ADHD group and then a non-ADHD group. And they did a working memory task, and we asked them while they were doing the task to report um, how mentally taxed they were, how burdened they were, how effortful this task was for them. And we found that even when they were performing equally as well on the task, and even though they had equal nonverbal IQs, they found the task to be more effortful and to be more uncomfortable. So they're doing as well. They have the same capacity, you might say, but it feels different for them. And because it feels different, that might affect their willingness to do the task again, for example. So we, we asked them at the end, you know, how willing they would be to do this task again. And the ADHD group said, no way, forget it. I'm not doing this again. <laughs> uh, and, you know, not surprising. But the key here is that it felt different for them, and that's why they don't want to do it again. And, and so what I'd like to, us to think about, you know, as a profession is to start thinking, well, how can we help people uh, with ADHD regulate and manage the emotions that occur in the context of thinking. I'm not talking about emotion regulation writ large. I'm talking about it specifically in the context of cognitive tasks. And you've suggested some very interesting ideas here about how you can maybe separate those two or decrease the, the emotions that might occur by, you know, by helping people externalize these tasks. Uh, and there may also be ways to help uh, people deal with their emotions, even if they're they're, they're inevitable, right? Uh, these yep. feelings are inevitably occurring in the context of a thinking task, and you can't get around it. Okay, what are you going to do about it now? I love this conversation. So, you know, Dr. Eastwood, one of the things that I talk about when I'm working with people is I, I, I frame out um, you have the primitive brain or the automatic brain. And, and when I say primitive brain, it's kind of the dopamine-seeking brain. It's sometimes the fight, flight, or freeze reactionary brain. And it's also the automatic brain, like um, I'm right-handed, and my automatic response to anything is reach out with my right hand. If I were to do things with my left hand, i got to pause, and, and which I'll come to. Then you have the executive functioning brain, which is the part I'm, I'm, I'm coaching. And as I say, I describe often is you have your automatic brain, you have your thinking brain. It's very effortful for your executive functioning brain to step in and override the automatic behaviors or the urges of the more primitive brain. And that plays into right. what you're saying is because they're saying it's more effortful. They, same IQs, you know, same scores, but that effortfulness come in. And I like to highlight it because I want people to realize it's effortful. And if it's too effortful, yeah. there's a lot of emotion and feeling around it, a lot of negativity, and they'll shy away from it uh, as a means to discern those differences so they can kind of see what's going on inside their, their mind so that they are less reactionary and more self-aware so that they can do yeah. something about it, which is what this conversation is really about. And I'm, I'm loving how you're framing this. It really makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And, you know, even the concept of effort we need to be careful about because the word can mean subtly different things, Right. So effort can mean how hard I try on something. Effort can mean how, how taxed or burdened I am by an activity. Or it can mean how difficult I think the activity is. And there's some neuroscience research suggesting that these three things are a little different. They're, they overlap, but they're not exactly the same. You know? Uh, yep. So, for example, if I don't get a good night's sleep, right, uh, and my mind is a bit fuzzy the next morning, I might say, oh, I'm really burdened or really taxed right now, but this task is really not that effortful. It's not that difficult an activity, right? Or yep. I could say, you know, I tried really hard, but it, and it wasn't mentally taxing for me. 
So these are three separate things, and it's important to kind of be clear. And the research is, you know, it's it's shocking to me. It's shocking to me when I look in the in the literature and I realize how little research, systematic research, there is on the experiences of boredom, the experience of effort for individuals with ADHD. There's wow. a little bit of work on on kind of trait effort, like I generally have these difficulties, or there's a little bit of work on the motivation piece, like how hard I tried, but mm-hmm. the actual experience of being mentally burdened in the moment of doing a cognitive activity or task for individuals with ADHD and those without, there's very little. And similarly for boredom, there's... Um, you know, a lot of research just showing in, in, in non-clinical samples, if you give people self-report questionnaires of ADHD kinds of symptomatology, they correlate with self-report measures of trait boredom, but there's very little work on people who actually have the diagnosis, bring them into the lab, get them to do activities, and see if thinking does feel different for these folks. Wow. That's what I'm really excited to be doing yeah. in, the, in the coming uh, wow. coming years. Wow. Tell you what, we need to go to a commercial break. For our listeners out there, uh, clearly this is a great conversation, and if you have ADHD, you need to check this out. Uh, you can get Dr. Eastwood's book on Amazon. Um, it's Dr. John Eastwood, if you're searching for that, and his book, uh, Out of My Skull, The Psychology of Boredom. I highly recommend you checking it out. Our secret word tonight is mental. Again, our secret word tonight is mental, and with that, we'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change your lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by digcoaching.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with uh, Dr. John Eastwood having a great conversation about ADHD, uh, thinking, mental effort, and the emotions and feelings around that. But I'm grateful for this opportunity because today is really about self-awareness and breaking down these experiences so you become self-aware and uh, begin to manage yourself a little bit better. I, I uh I have found over the years that uh, when thinking is really, really difficult, if I focus on how I make thinking easier, A, it's a little bit easier. Number two, it actually helps me stick to what I'm focused on. Um, Before the break, Dr. Eastwood, you were talking – we were talking about effortful, and you were breaking it down as to how hard you try – I think there was three of them – how hard you try – the task at hand and if it was a burden, what were those three again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first one is like a more motivation, right? It's about how hard I tried on something. So that's one way okay. we use the word effort. I put in a lot of effort. Me, What we mean is I tried really hard. Another uh-huh. way we use the word effort is to talk about how, how taxing something is or how burdened we feel. Oh, that was a lot of yep. effort, right? 
And so that's about like a burden on us, a, an emotional burden. Yep. And then the third, the third way we use it is to describe a task as being difficult. We just say, well, that's a, that, that task takes a lot of effort. And what we really mean is that's an effort, that, that's a difficult activity. And those three things we can show are, are, are not exactly the same. They're obviously interrelated, but they're, they're, they're distinct. And I think one of the things that I emphasize is the taxing part with people with ADHD. Um, hmm. I, a lot of times, I do this exercise a lot when I'm doing the working memory things, is I'll, I'll give somebody five words and I'll ask them to repeat it back to me in the five words in alphabetical order, and often they get the words, re, the order's not correct, or they forget a word. And, and when I go through that, I said, you notice is that when I give you these five words, they're simple words, you didn't learn anything new, and you know the alphabet, and blah, 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 blah. And I say, imagine if I gave you like 10 words or whatever, like it'd be a lot harder. But one of the things that I talk about is like, you'll notice if you write the words on index cards, you're relieving your mind of the burden of holding those in your mind, and you can rearrange them outside of your brain. You're thinking, but you're externalizing some of that thinking. And a lot of a lot of my awareness with the people that I'm working with is to realize is when they're when they're thinking inside their head and they're they're using their working memory. If you have ADHD, it's more tax, taxing, thus it's more effortful. Mm-hmm. So if you begin to think about how can I think outside of my head, and there's a lot of people with ADHD, we call them verbal processors, which is not really the best term, but they do a lot of thinking out loud. And I'll say, hey, mm-hmm. it's less taxing if you think out loud. And so in, in my work, I'll do a lot of hey. Let's think about relieving the burden on your working memory to make thinking easy. And I can, based off of what you described, I can clearly see there's a distinction because that hits that one. It's not hitting the difficulty, if you will, um, or sometimes Mm -hmm. the motivation, but um, this really makes a lot of sense. And I also find there was a a documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. And um, anyway, it talks a lot about... um, social media and stuff like that, but I do find when my crowd that I'm coaching, when thinking gets hard, they'll often to escape to those things because it's either so hard they want to relieve themselves or they're bored and they need something a little bit kind of stimulating. Um, mm. Anyway, first, any thoughts on that? Anything you'd like to add? Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, well first of all, I, I really like your idea about kind of externalizing those working memory demands or talking out loud and verbally mediating and kind of helping reduce it, get it out of your head, get it out in front of you. And I think that's a great strategy to reduce the burden uh, kind of piece. Um, in terms of social media, you know, it's interesting because earlier we, we said this idea, okay, boredom, mental effort, and fluency or flow. We were talking about these as three feelings of thinking that can have a, a you know, that can help or they can hinder. And you might say that uh, now in our world, we have these attention-grabbing machines, I'll call them, right? Smartphones, yep. Netflix, whatever. You know, historically, if we look back over the human history, we didn't have these kinds of things, right? We didn't have these yep. things that grabbed our attention for us. We had to, we had to go out to the world more uh, in a self-determined way, right? In, in psychology, we talk about this concept of agency, which refers to self-determination, self-direction, like thinking about an idea, I have an intention, I have a plan, I'm some, something I'm passionate about, I want to express myself in this way, and I go out and I engage with the world, right? Um, but now it's kind of like these attention-grabbing machines, they, they, they grab and hold our attention. And what they do is they kind of exploit, I might say, our feelings of thinking. So let me, let me lay this out. 
we crave sugary, fatty food, right? And you might say, yep. why, why do we do that? It doesn't work well for us, right? I eat a bag of chips and then I get sick or I gain weight, I'm unhealthy. Well, evolutionarily, we never uh, were in a world where there was these such rich opportunities for fat and sugar and all that. So when we found it, we had to crave it to really eat it because it was mm-hmm. good for our survival. Now it works against us. And so yep. these feelings of boredom and mental effort, they work against us now in our environment where these attention-grabbing machines draw us in. And there's this really interesting thing called dark flow, right? So dark flow is like doom scrolling through social media or, you know, uh, video game addictions or, you know, slot machine, like virtual gambling, where what these, what these attention-grabbing machines do is they say, hey, I'm going to give you lots of fluency. That's going to feel good. And fluency motivates you to keep on keeping on. I'm going to take effort out of the equation, this taxing kind of thing, like uh, because they're titrated to whatever your ability level is when you start. And so yep. they then gradually can change. And so, hey, I'm going to take away that, that burden so you, so you won't disengage. And I'm going, to, I'm going to make your boredom go away, right? We feel bored reach for the social media, it makes the boredom go away. What's not to love? We get hooked, right? And then before we know it, we can spend hours and hours. And so I think it's really interesting to think about how some modern technology, modern, uh, you know, uh, social media, smartphones, etc., how they might exploit our feelings of thinking in ways that can really hinder our ability to live agentic lives and to accomplish the kinds of things that we most want to do. Wow. Wow. I love that. Oh, I, tell you what, I can't wait to comment on that, but I don't want to get interrupted. Let's go to a break, everybody. Hold the thought right there more after we come back. Everybody, check out uh, Dr. Eastwood's book. Go to Amazon.com. Um, it's Dr. John Eastwood, his book, uh, Out of My Skull, The Psychology of Boredom. Our secret word tonight is mental And with that, we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's A-D-D-C-A dot com slash A-T-R. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code A-T-R for 15% off. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? <laughs> Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. 
Welcome back, everybody. We're here with uh, Dr. John Eastwood and cr trying to create some self-awareness out there, which is part of executive functioning, so that you can begin to understand or see thinking, emotions, and feelings in your head to more analytically understand what's going on so you can use self-restraint, which is another executive functioning, to manage yourself. Um, I absolutely adored how uh, Dr. Eastwood uh, described things with the tension-grabbing machines for a second ago. Um, I'm going to say the same thing, just a different vernacular in a different way. With people with ADHD, I take a look at dopamine. Um, anything that if you get dopamine, you pay attention to it. You don't, you don't. And I'm finding a lot of times people with ADHD, when the thinking gets hard, they're escaping to these attention grabbing machines because they're stimulating and they make thinking a little bit easier. They relieve that burden and they get on it and they go and they go and they lose track of time. Um, over a period of time, and, and I try to help people get that self-awareness so that they are not tempted by those. And when they do hard thinking, I always try to say, listen, let's adjust the environment to make thinking easier. Sometimes that thinking is removing those temptations that I talk about. You know, years ago when I had a book, I would read it. I wasn't tempted by other links to social media and other things where online we are. So effectively, it's really awareness to think about thinking and it is effortful and you got to adjust that environment so that you can do that and or think outside of your head to make it easier because the focus of our program today is really to illuminate that thinking is effortful and you have to manage it. Um, so anyway, it, it, anything, any comments on what I said and adjustments? Differences? Yeah, no, I, no, I, yeah, I think, uh, I think we're on the same page and, and I like the way you put it, um, put that into context. You know, these attention grabbing machines are, are, you know, they're so beguiling. They're so attractive for all of us. And I think they're, 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 they cause problems for many of us. And I think that those problems can be particularly pronounced or there can be a lot of temptation for individuals, individuals with ADHD, because on the one hand, it, it, it takes away a bad feeling and creates yep. a good feeling. And so, yep. you know, car carrot and stick, carrot and yep. stick. That's how that, that's what keeps <laughs> us moving through life, right? So, yep. you know, but we really have to say at the end of the day, you know, if you doom scroll, doom scroll through social media for 90 minutes or you start a video game and then kind of come out of your reverie, you know, a day and a half later and realize, oh, my goodness, and you have to ask yourself, have I lived the life I want to live? Yep. Right. Am I, am I doing what I want to do with my life or have I become passive? Am I now essentially being controlled and manipulated by these external attention grabbing machines? And that's the saddest thing at the end of the day. Right. Like um, there's an author, um, uh, uh, James Williams, who wrote a book called Stand Out of Our Life. And it's a great book. I recommend it for everyone if they're interested in the impact of technology and attention-grabbing machines on us as individuals and on us as a society. And he talks about how attention-grabbing machines, um, they, they grab our attention and they don't support our intentions. Yes. Uh, what, I mean, what he means by that is they're not on our side. They seem like they're helping us make our life better, but they're not on our side. They're not helping us make good on our passions, make good on our desires. They're not helping us be all that we can be. What they're doing is grabbing and consuming our attention. Yep. And in so doing, they control. And, you know, it, that's, 
it's a really, uh, I mean, he puts it in very stark terms, right? That the, the struggle for the control of the human will essentially yep. is playing out. And you could think about individuals with ADHD as maybe being kind of like a canary in the coal mine a little bit, right? They're, they're very sensitive to these kinds of, uh, uh, issues because thinking does feel different for them. And yes. so, you know, this is something that's concerning for everybody, uh, but perhaps particularly those with ADHD. So I want to kind of bring this together, and I want to, Doctor. So I want to share something that I'm seeing that it's happening. It's kind of invisible uh, that I feel like it really illuminates the challenge of thinking here a little bit, and how it plays out. Um, again, everybody, this is just my experience, and so um, I just I, we'll have a conversation. But there was a great quote in the the social dilemma on Netflix related to something else, but basically. It, it, the quote is, it, over time, it tilts the floor of human behavior. It makes some behaviors easier and some harder. <clears throat> We're always free to climb the hill, but few people do. And over time, it changes the way people think and what they do. So what, here's what I want you to just take from the, the quote is, when things change, they sometimes make things easier and sometimes make things harder. And you can always you do it the harder way, but as a time, it has an influence on us. And so what I mean by this is with the pandemic coming along, we have become more isolated and we're not going to school. We're not in the workplace uh, interacting with people. And so I had a, I've said for the longest time is that a lot of procrastination, like 80% of it, is rooted in ambiguity. And ambiguity is either you don't know what to do or you're having to think and you can't hold it all in your working memory. And I like the ambiguity term because it's a kind of a catch-all phrase. And I, I, one of my clients over the summer got it and she described this moment where she, she was at home and there was something that she was having to do that she forgot. It required her to think about some procedure. And the way that I like to describe it was tribal knowledge. And so she realized at home she ran into this thing work-wise and she had forgotten or whatever, and she had to sit and try to think about what it was. And she realized is that when she was at work before COVID hit, she would just lean over to an associate and ask a question. And she said, within two seconds, I would have my answer and I would be back to what I was doing. She was sending me this text in this moment because she realizes that she didn't know the answer. She sent a text to a coworker, a message work-wise. Of course, that person's in another area, and this, she's not able to get that person's attention. So she got up from her desk to go get a cup of coffee at home, and she never went back. And that notion of sitting there and effortly trying to think what this thing was, she hit this like kind of like blank screen. In that moment, she escaped the thinking and the boredom or the productivity and got on some other activity that was off. And the reason I'm saying this, Eastwood, is I've coached a lot of people through the pandemic and saying, you know, when you are with people and you need some help thinking sometimes, you can often get it by brainstorming or talking out loud, or people with ADHD will often t just talk out loud and think out loud to themselves. And it makes thinking easier, and hence they're more productive, 
and it's motivating when you're productive, but when you're in an environment where thinking is more difficult, it gets a little bit harder, and now everybody's saying, I've got a motivational problem. To me, it's an effortful thinking problem, and it's this invisible thing that's happening out there. I've, I've been inundated with people in school that are online, and they're, they're not interacting with people because the thinking is more difficult. Are you seeing any of this, or does this make sense to you, or do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, no, I, I no, I, I do, and I, I just really want to kind of bounce off of what you're saying. I mean, I really like the way you're putting it, right? And I mean, part of what I'm hearing here overall in this conversation is this thrust about self-awareness, right? You want yes. to become more self-aware, and then a, a, a press a push for strategies. What can we do? And there's lots of interesting and useful strategies you've put out there. Um, and I think there's one other idea that I want to raise here. Uh, that I think is often overlooked, and that's, and, and I'll unpack my idea here, but it's self-compassion, self-compassion. So let yep. me say what I mean. So you talked about with the social uh, dilemma, the, the Netflix film there about the importance of being, you know, being able to muster up the fortitude to do the hard things in life, right? Climb that hill. And, and yeah, generally it's true, right, that in life, you know, anything of value takes effort and is going to be hard. And so the thing that I want to emphasize here, though, is one of the, is that for individuals with ADHD, the idea that we're exploring here, that we have a little bit of research on, but not nearly enough yet, so I don't want to overstate how well this was supported by data, but the idea that we're exploring here is that thinking feels different for people with ADHD. So doing the hard thing is harder, right? And so rather than saying, oh, okay, look, you know, you're just not motivated, you're just not trying hard enough, you're not putting in enough effort in that sense of effort, and I think that misses the boat. And I think that, you know, people who are working with individuals with ADHD need to understand that they're dealing with more uh, negative feeling when they are thinking than you are, right? So you need to understand that. And then for individuals with ADHD to be self-compassionate and say, listen, the fact that I have to work at this doesn't mean I'm a failure. It doesn't mean I'm stupid. And we have to reinterpret the way we interpret, we have to reinterpret our experience of uh, being mentally taxed. If we're being mentally taxed, that doesn't mean we're, you know, we're not smart or it doesn't mean that we're failing. What it means is we're growing. What it means is we're challenging ourselves. And we have to we have to say, see it in a positive light and not get down on ourselves and say, why do I have to use this strategy? Or other people get this right away. Why can't I? And then that just spirals even into other kinds of emotional problems. So, you know, be, be self-aware, uh, you know, understand yourself, engage the strategies you need, and, and, and don't be hard on yourself, right? Don't be hard on yourself. So that gets to the the, the, the focus of this, this 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 whole conversation is to bring awareness to mental effort and thinking. It's hard for people with ADHD. And when it's difficult, part of ADHD, if you look at it as an issue of self-regulation, you have to regulate your attention, but you also have to regulate your emotions. And Dr. Eastwood, what you just described is the emotions around the thinking become so enormous that it kind of paralyzes you, and you begin to ruminate on it. And the idea here is to really delineate these two so that you can catch yourself, be kind yourself, but also begin to think, how can I make thinking easier? 
and, and move mm-hmm. forward with it in the situation yeah. that we're in with COVID right now. I do a lot of advocating. You've got to get out and you've got to have these conversations. You've got to make – think about how are we going to make thinking easier because if we can make thinking easier and it's more pleasant – then we have more yep. positive feelings around that. And so the idea is to be able to manage yourself. And so bringing that piece of it in is really what this, I think probably more what I want to do with the show is help you understand the emotions and the feelings around the thinking and realize it's effortful and a simple strategy is how can I make thinking easier and, and, and manage the feelings in, in a positive way. And that's not a tip trick or strategy. It's a mindset that can take you to a mm. lot of places and discover things. Yeah. I mean, I've had people that wanted tip tricks or strategy, and it was as simple as, listen, get, get multiple computer screens so you're working. Memory's not so taxed so that thinking's easier. And it's yeah. a world of difference. So um, need yeah. to pull this to close. Any last thoughts or tidbits before we wrap this up? No, I, I think this has been a great conversation and a lot of fun, and, and, and I hope that these ideas are useful for people and that they can become more self-aware. They can become, you know, more able to engage strategies and regulate themselves and that they can be compassionate with themselves and understand that, you know, uh, how – how thinking feels for them might be different than it is for others. And we're all different people and we need to be kind to each other and figure out how we can, uh, you know, thrive based on our own personality. (laughs) So the idea here is that, you know, understanding and working with the feelings of thinking can make us better thinkers. And uh, so this is where we want to go. So I really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you for it. Oh, actually, thank you for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Okay, everybody, you need to check out uh, his book, Out of My Skull, The Psychology of Boredom. You can find it on Amazon. It's Dr. John Eastwood. Remember, our uh, secret word tonight is mental. And with that, we hope you've enjoyed it. Catch us next week for a great edition of Attention Talk Radio. Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.